0: Well, we're in a series, and uh, it's a series we've been doing for a couple of weeks now, and uh, we want to continue today, and uh, our subtitle for Turn Us Again today is Catch It. And so today I want to talk to you about catching or taking hold of God's vision for your life. And here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 in the NLT uh, second edition, we find a beautiful portion of scripture that speaks about this. It says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now that word hope in the Greek actually speaks about a fond expectation, a confidence of something good that is going to happen in our future. It really speaks of vision. And he's saying here that this vision we have from the Word, this vision we have from Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul that keeps us connected with the purpose of God. You see, catching God's vision for your life starts with finding your life In Christ. That's what Paul spoke about in Acts chapter seventeen, verses twenty seven and twenty-eight in the Passion Translation. It says, He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. Isn't that beautiful? It is through him that we live. And function and have our identity. You see, our identity is in Christ. Just as our own poets have said, our lineage comes from Him. Listen, it doesn't matter where you were born, or how you were born, or who you were born through, the reality today, if you're born again, your identity is with Christ Jesus. And you are of a great lineage. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Now, we all know that in our own strength, we don't always have the ability or the resource or the perseverance to connect with God and to keep pressing in to the vision he has for us. But you know what? In his strength, we always have what we need. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4 verses 12 and 13, and I want to breathe that into the context of catching God's vision. Here again in the Passion Translation, it says this, I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, and I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Can I repeat that? Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. So you see, even when circumstances and storms and obstacles come against the vision and the dreams in our hearts, If we can be infused with the power of his grace, we will press through those things and those difficulty will become the stepping stones towards a better tomorrow. In Titus 3, verses 4 to 8, we see this being further clarified. It says, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I love the terminology. He didn't just pour out the Holy Spirit, he poured out the Holy Spirit in abundance, and he did it through Jesus Christ. It goes on and it says, having been justified by his grace. We should become the heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's that word hope or that word vision again. And notice it says that through the grace of God we have been made heirs. We've been made heirs of his hope, of his vision for our lives. According to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. So Paul, writing to Titus, he says, These things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Now, we could look today in the, in the context of vision. Good works would be the goals we set that position us on a daily, monthly, or yearly basis to get to the dream or the vision that we feel God has given us. These things are good. And they are profitable to men. This is what leads you and I into the cycle of gratitude and worship. Now, this connects us with last week's message. Remember, we closed last week looking at Acts chapter 13, and we saw how the significance and the importance of ministering to the Lord is a key to hearing from the Holy Spirit. You see, we could say it like this, when we minister to the Lord, when we get into His presence, what happens is we catch the vision in the spirit of what God is saying to us and we take hold of God's vision for our lives. So I want to use an old term, but it's so relevant. It's we've got to continue to practice His presence or live in His presence continually. It's so beautifully brought out here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 18. It says here, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. David is such a wonderful example of someone who talked to the Lord and practiced his presence all the time. Even as a young teenager, taking care of his father's sheep in the fields, dirty and smelly and walking in the sun and amongst the sheep, he would sing psalms and hymns, and he would minister to the Lord while playing the harp. Do you know that because of that, David was put forward as the one who would be able to play the instrument when Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit. And when he played and ministered on the harp, Saul would be refreshed. And that, and that peace of God would come upon him. Do you know why David could have such accolades heaped up upon him? The key is in the last part of that word, of that verse. It says, and the Lord, or because the Lord was with him. It's so interesting to note that this uh, verse 18 is the chapter right before David finds himself visiting his brothers right in the midst of war where Goliath was taunting the nation of Israel. And it's where David was positioned to go out and to overcome Goliath and win a great battle and victory for the children of God. And that's why we see The presence of the Lord made all the difference in David's life. I'm sure you might have experienced this before. You go into a room or maybe you step into a lift where people have been smoking. And although you don't smoke yourself, after being in that enclosed environment for a few minutes, you step out of the lift or out of that room and your hair and your clothes smell like smoke. You get to the next venue and and your wife or the person says, have you been smoking? No, you haven't. But you're in the presence of people that were. And it's exactly the same. You cannot be in the presence of the Lord without experiencing His glory, His majesty, His beauty, His power, His love, and His peace rubbing off on you. So stay in Jesus' presence. And you know what? You'll begin to catch His vision for your life. Actually, literally, literally. You'll begin to smell like him, and others will see Jesus in you. This is another example. Let's just look at a few more scriptures. There's another example of this in Acts chapter 4 and verses 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What was the defining thing? What was the distinguishing thing that connected them with the boldness that these people saw? It was that they had been hanging around Jesus. You see, as we prioritize the presence of the Lord, wherever we are, we'll begin to experience the undeniable evidence of His presence in our lives, and it connects us with His heart and with His vision for our lives. So as a believer, remember that you always have access to your Father. It doesn't matter if you slip and fall, if you make a mistake or if you sin, just get back up again and get into God's presence. That's what I believe James was talking about to his church. He was was the pastor of a great church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus. And here in James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, look what he tells them as he's preaching the word to them. He says, therefore, submit to God. What does that word submit mean? It means come into God's presence. Come with a surrender before the Lord. Look at this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. I'd like to break it down into a point form, and there are five things we see here. First, he submits to God. That means coming to His presence. Number two, when you come into His presence, you're empowered to resist the enemy, who is the one that wants to trip you up, discourage you, and stop you from moving forward. Notice he says this, draw near to God. The second encouragement comes again, that you and I have a choice in the matter. We can choose to be in his presence. And then it says, cleanse your hands. Now, sometimes we we get this picture that we've got to beat ourselves up when we miss it. No, what this is simply saying is be sincere and honest with the Lord about where you are. Yes, Lord, I messed up. Yes, Lord, I, I got angry with my wife or I messed up over here. Be honest with him because when you're sincere, it actually empowers you because you're being humble. And notice how this verse ends. It says, and the Lord will lift you up. I really believe that we can see this in the perspective of vision and goal setting. The vision is for God to lift us up. The goals are are the steps we'll take to stay in His presence. So let's go to our goal setting program that we handed out last week. And and don't forget that you can go to our website, rfcfc.com. Go to the resource icon. And you can actually download the goal-setting program. It is there for you. On the front, we've got our theme for the year. And on the other side, we've given you six areas that you could use to just get you started along the lines of goal-setting. Let's have a look at each of them for a few minutes here today. So the first one is around spiritual things. So let's talk about this. Spiritual speaks to you and I simply about growing in our relationship with Jesus. You see, when, when you're growing, when this is happening, all the other things will start to flow out of your life almost spontaneously. Have a look here at Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So spiritual things come through our fellowship with God and us learning to walk and live in the Spirit. God's blessings are a part of our inheritance. In the covenant of grace, which Jesus died to give us. God's word tells us here that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that here in Galatians, the Lord is very specific about mentioning that Christ became a curse for us on the cross so that we could experience not just the blessing, but the blessing of Abraham. He does not just want us to have any blessing. He wants us specifically here to recognize he wants us to experience the blessing of Abraham. I think it's therefore really important for us to find out what was he speaking about when he spoke specifically about the blessing of Abraham and that he wants us, as the heirs, to receive it. Every one of us is an heir. And this inheritance speaks about the fact that we've received this blessing, not because we deserve it, not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Now there are certain, certainly many promises in the Word of God, and I believe, as believers, we can claim all of them. But let's look specifically at the promise that God gave Abraham. Here in Romans chapter 4, verses 13, and then verses 16. It says, For the promise that he would be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the Lord, through the law, sorry, but through the righteousness of faith. Therefore, verse 16, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Isn't that beautiful? The promise is sure to you and I. Because it's by faith through grace. Not through our own works. But also to those. uh, Sorry to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law. But to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. Now notice something here. It says that Abraham was the heir of the world. Or the promise to him was that he would be the heir of the whole world. Wow. There's a specific promise to Abraham. He would literally be the the heir to the whole world. Now think about it. If you are a co-heir through Christ Jesus of Abraham's blessing, that means you're an heir of the whole world. In other words, you have the right to its goods to its endowments, its riches, its advantages, and its pleasures. This is the specific promise made to Abraham and his seed. And you and I as believers should not apologize for it. It is our inheritance in Christ. So I believe primarily our spiritual goals should be around us making the decision to trust God on a daily basis. Learning to see what God sees starting to believe what the word says about us. And that involves replacing our wrong beliefs with the right beliefs based on his words. So based on his words. So I believe our spiritual goals should be around some of these following things. Number one, learning to know our motivational gifts. How did God make me? And what treasures and what talents did he put in me? Because when you know what motivates you, you have insight into your personality and what God wants you to be busy with in your life. The second thing that I believe our spiritual goals should revolve around is the reality that we need to grow and develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We can find those fruit in the book of Galatians chapter 5. There are nine fruit and there are nine spiritual gifts. And there are five motivational gifts. And next year when we do the Sword Discipleship, I'd encourage you to do our course, uh, which is, helps us to identify what our gifts and what our talents are. And then number three, we need to trust God next year that God would use us to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit will build us up And help us to build one another up so that we walk in our purpose. Number two, the second one is our personal goals. The first one was spiritual. The second one is personal. Now, what do we mean when we talk about our personal goals? Well, our personal goals would include our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, which feeds into our personality, In other words, we need to establish the course we want to run. We need to know the race that God wants us to be in. And then we need to step into our calling. Because you see, when you step into your calling, that's where the anointing of God is. And that's where you'll begin to flourish and be successful. Once you find that, then it's your responsibility to be faithful. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupts according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, our personal goals should be set around us continually putting on that new nature. You know, after all the painful things that have happened in our past, they've come and gone, God still wants you and I to enjoy every single day of our lives. But this won't happen until we make up our minds to take hold of the abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. Until we do that, the devil will always continue to try and steal it away from us. Things will change for the better when you and I learn to live by putting on the new nature according to who we are in Christ Jesus. Number three, the third area is around our health. What what goals are we setting for our health? Now, I believe health here is spoken of in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. Notice how it starts off. It says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for everything, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Notice, He didn't say bodily exercise is of no value. He said bodily exercise is of little value, but godliness is of greater value. In other words, he's saying, you've got to build your health on spiritual principles. But I really want to encourage you and I, let's build and maintain good, healthy habits, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Remember, Jesus sees things differently to you and I, and we need to go back to the Word and learn to see what He sees. When we experience disease or lack, or we are trapped in fear, battling with guilt or struggling with an addiction, or even with a sin in our life, Jesus doesn't see the problem. He sees the solution. He sees God's healing, God's grace, and God's power superabounding in our area of weakness. So don't give up. Cultivate good, healthy habits. Take time to enjoy your life. Take time to exercise. Drink and eat healthy things so that your longevity will help you to fulfill your dreams and your visions. The next one we want to talk about in goal setting is around our careers. How many of you know your career your your life pursuit is important to God. Here in Philemon chapter one, verses one to seven, it says, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and of Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend, and our fellow labor laborer, to the beloved Apiah, or chippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he just talks about he makes mention of them in their prayer, in his prayers. He loves to hear of their love and their faith. And right at the end, in verse 7, it says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, my brother. Now, you might think, what has this got to do with career? Well, let me explain to you. This letter of Philemon was written by Paul to Philemon, who was a very wealthy slave owner during those times. He was a wealthy man. He had been born again. He was funding and even hosting the church in his own home. And Paul writes this letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, who was a slave of Philemon, who had run away and escaped. Paul bumped into him on one of his missionary journeys and led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, Paul had become very fond of Onesimus. And so he writes this letter appealing to this rich businessman and saying to him, listen, you need to reconcile your relationship with Onesimus. And if he owes you anything, I even undertake to pay his debt. This tells me that your career is important because it helps you to fund the kingdom and to build great relationships. And to be part of what God is doing in the kingdom. So you know what? Be faithful with what God has given you. Be progressive. And do your best to be excellent in everything you put your hands to. Plan your work and then work your plan. And do it as unto the Lord. That's what Paul was appealing to Philemon in this letter. The next one then is around our relationships. And it's so interesting that out of that we flow into relationships. And what are the goals that you're setting for your life in relationships? You see, I really believe God wants us to get better in our relationships. I believe God wants us to become a better friend, a better husband, and a better person to humanity around us. And here, in 3 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, to the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now I want to use this verse as a reference for both our last two, both relationship and also uh, wealth. But here, if you read this book of Three John, you'll see that he mentions three main characters in this book. The first one is Gaius who was actually a, a born-again believer, also a wealthy man, who demonstrated his Christian faith by being generous, hospitable, and welcoming strangers into his home. The second person he speaks about is Diotrephes. Now, Diotrephes uh, was a man who was caught up in selfish pride, and he was disrupting the harmony and the fellowship of the healthy relationships within the local church. He was bearing strife and contention. He was uh, gossiping and bad-mouthing and complaining about everything. And Paul, actually, uh, uh, John writes this letter to address some of these issues. And then the third person he speaks of is Demetrius. And Demetrius exemplified Christian fidelity and generosity. He had impeccable character. And it actually says that he was a person who was worthy of being imitated because he was a real Christ follower. And that should inspire you and I. You see, we've all got things in our lives that we need to overcome, things we can do better at. But you know what? Let's set a goal for our lives in this upcoming year that we're going to get better at being who we are and being the best we can possibly be. And then finally, we come to the financial goals. Now, that same scripture we just read says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. It's God's desire that we live a healthy life, but he also wants us to do well financially. So we should start to set goals for our financial well-being and growth. The way we do that is make sure we don't chase things, but that we seek God first. By applying the principles of the word, Living on a budget. I remember a great preacher, uh, Joel A. Bell, preaching a message many years ago that struck me and helped me so much. He said, you and I need to learn to live on less so that we'll have more to give away and to make a difference. And I think that's a great principle to live on. You see, as we develop a lifestyle of generosity, our world will get bigger and our lives will become fuller and enriched by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in closing, let's have a look at two scriptures here in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 8. It says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And then verse 11 says this, while you are enriched in everything for all generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Let's be generous. Let's allow God to enrich our lives so that we can live out and fulfill the dreams and the goals that God has given us individually and as a local church here on the South Coast. Let's pray together. Perhaps you're listening to this and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you feel a a gentle tugging on your heart that you'd really like to know Jesus, would you pray this prayer out loud with me right now, wherever you are, listening or watching? Just be sincere in your heart, and God will do the rest. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for my sin, and that You raised Him from the dead so that I could be saved. I accept and receive Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now, if you just pray that prayer, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to send you a booklet and a Bible. And we'd love to help you in your journey of serving God and becoming a Christ follower. It surely is a great adventure. Or perhaps you're there today and you have a testimony you want to share with us. Or perhaps you want to send us a prayer request you'd like us to agree with. Send us an email or a WhatsApp and we'll get on to it straight away. God bless you, myself and Mandy are praying for you, and if you're ever down on the South coast in the Margate area, come and look at us, look, look us up and come join us for a Sunday service. God bless you and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.